Psalms 19 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 4 this morning, which continues to unfold for us how a believing wife is to respond to her husband for the sake and the spread of the gospel. Peter's been showing us in this book that when it comes to the task of everyday evangelism and carrying out the great commission that Jesus Christ has given us as his followers through making disciples as we go about our everyday lives, we've been learning that there's something that we need to focus on before a careful crafting of our gospel presentation. And that is, the thing that we need to focus on before all of that is actually the careful conduct of our lives. See, we either underline the gospel message that we seek to proclaim by how we live or we undermine it. And Peter wants to make sure that we as Christians underline it and keep ourselves laser-focused on our earthly mission of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ no matter where we are or what we're doing. And we do that, Peter's been showing us, by daily demonstrating the enduring goodness of Christ in four unique ways, which Peter outlined for us very helpfully in verse 17 of chapter 2, where he states that we as elect exiles ought, not, ought to be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. So these are four ways, four concrete ways, that we can be about the Great Commission and making sure that we are building a case for it every single day. And this is one of the ways that we can reflect the saving goodness and grace of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. It's by being subject, honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, and fearing God. We've already touched on what it looks like to be subject properly for the gospel of Christ. And now we're considering how to honor everyone for the sake of the gospel as well. And what Peter's been showing us is that honoring everyone begins very close to home, quite literally, beginning with how we treat our spouse. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, Peter outlines for us the Christ-like wife's respectful submission to her husband. And then in verse 7, he lays out the Christ-like husband's respectful sensitivity to his wife. And even though distinct marriage roles are often looked down upon in our culture today, life in God's world actually works better when we live like this. That is, when we live according to God's Word. For example, a Pew Research poll from 2007 found out that, quote, couples who establish a shared understanding of their respective responsibilities in marriage were less likely to monitor or critique each other's behaviors. In other words, when both partners understood what their respective roles were in the marriage relationship, they got along better. But... Also from this study, quote, couples who didn't have established roles had more conflict because they had to renegotiate expectations for their relationship every day. In other words, when they knew what their respective roles were, they got along well with each other. But when they didn't know what their respective roles were, they'd fight about, they'd fight every day trying to figure it out. In fact, a bombshell report from the American Sociological Association uh, stated in 2012 that so-called, this is what they labeled it, traditional marriages, and they defined this as marriages where the individuals operate along clear and distinct roles for both men and women, these marriages reported higher levels of marital satisfaction, intimacy, and fulfillment than so-called egalitarian marriages. 
And this threw every for, everybody for a loop, and the New York Times was trying to explain it away. And it's fascinating when you look at it, because it destroys the whole narrative the world is trying to share right now. Couples who clearly understand their complementary roles in marriage end up having happier and, in general, more peaceful marriages. But those who fought against having established roles in marriages ended up having more conflict and division. This makes sense when I look at it because why? It corresponds with the wisdom that's recorded in God's Word. God created marriage and He created it to work with one man and one woman occupying distinct and complementary roles for each other side by side. And when life is lived according to God's will, in God's world, it tends to work out better. In fact, marriage roles are so good and so beneficial and so reflective of the enduring goodness of Christ that when they are faithfully followed by the believer, they can actually start to have a redemptive effect on the marriage relationship. That's what we saw last week in verses 1 through 2, where Peter states, Likewise, wives, be subject. To what extent? To your own husbands. Why? So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So that's how powerful a godly wife, and to make it even more general, a godly life can be. Even someone who is obstinately opposed to hearing the word of God can be won over to hearing the word of God by the power of another believer's pure devotion and God-fearing commitment to the Lord. That's astonishing. Peter gives us a word of hope. They may be one. They may be one. Understanding then the powerful evangelistic effect that honoring even your spouse in marriage can have, towards underlining the gospel, Peter then proceeds in verses 3-6 through to highlight three more aspects of a Christ-like wife's respectful submission in marriage so that we can understand it and make sure that we unleash its effect in our own families. In verses 3-4, through we're going to see the foundation of marital submission. In other words, we're going to look at what is necessary to be able to carry out marital submission as it's described here in this passage. Then in verses 5 through 6a, we're going to consider the example of marital submission, which Peter reminds us of uh, how Sarah showed enduring goodness in spite of uh, the many hardships she had to endure from Abraham. (laughs) And finally, in verse 6, we're going to, at the end of verse 6, we're going to look at the two guardrails of marital submission. That is the two principles that help us from taking marital submission either too far or not far enough. And so, after the extent and aim of marital submission, we have the foundation, the example, and the guardrails of showing enduring goodness through marital submission for the sake and spread of the gospel, beginning in our own marriages. Uh, just so you know, we're probably only going to go, for, go through that first, the foundation of marital submission point this morning. Uh, so with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1, on into verse 7. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Peter writes this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of 
gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of God whose righteous rules we praise him for seven times a day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for how it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, we thank you for how it reminds us of the great commission and our great mission that you have given us as elect exiles here on this earth. Father, we want to be about the spreading of the gospel each and every day. And we want to be on we want to be focused on that mission no matter who we're with or what we're doing. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to see what type of life supports the Great Commission this morning as we consider how we can reflect the enduring goodness of Jesus even to those who are closest to us. Father, we recognize that the first mission field is our own home. So, Father, help us to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and help us to be faithful in upholding the gospel. Give us grace this morning to see what it looks like to live a life that honors Christ in the marriage relationship from the position of a believing wife. Give us grace, Father, to understand these truths and apply them to our hearts for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after Peter outlines for us the extent and the aim of marital submission in verses 1-2, through he then details for us the foundation of marital submission. That's in verses 3 through 4. In other words, if you want your life to be so saturated with the enduring goodness and grace of Christ that it becomes a tool that draws others to, to Jesus and to hear the message of Christ, then it all begins right here. We're going to find out that even though this is directed most immediately towards wives, oh my goodness, it applies to every single person here today. So this is the essential foundation upon which marital submission is built. Peter writes here, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So in other words, take a woman who demonstrates the enduring goodness of her Savior through marital submission on a consistent daily basis and ask yourself this question. If I was to excavate that woman's life and if I was to seek to find out what was at the heart of it all, what's at the center and foundation of her life that causes her to be able to demonstrate this Christ-like goodness and submission every day, what would I find at the center of it all? 
What is the unseen foundation that supports a life of seen goodness and grace? And the answer is, it is a focus and a dedication to spiritual discipline and devotion. A seen life of enduring goodness doesn't spring out of nowhere. It is built on an unseen foundational focus of spiritual discipline and devotion. Peter writes in verse 3, he says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Now the focus of these two verses, verses 3-4, through is the focus on this word adorning. It's mentioned twice in these two verses. In verse 3, he basically says, don't let your adorning be this in verse 4, but rather let your adorning be this. So these two verses are all centered around this idea of adorning. And if you think about it for a moment, adorning is something that you have to work on, isn't it? It assumes a focus in life. And that's exactly what this word adorn means. To adorn something means to focus on it for the sake of improvement. So for example, this is a dorky illustration, but hey, here we go. So for example, every November, uh, I put up our, fa- our family's artificial Christmas tree. I drag it up from the basement, blow the dust off of it, <laughs> snap the three pieces together, and I stand it up in our living room. But at that point, I'm still not done with the Christmas tree. Some years I wish I was done at that point, but I'm not. I still have to adorn it. I still have to focus on it for the sake of improvement. I have to string up lights, wrap around, wrap it around with ribbon, hang up the ornaments, and drape tinsel off the branches. I have to adorn our Christmas tree. I have to focus on it for the sake of improvement. Well, here, Peter says that if you want to be used by God to draw others around you to greater faith and devotion to Jesus Christ, then you need to be focusing on adorning yourself. You need to be focusing on yourself for the sake of improvement. In other words, you have an important part to play in your gospel testimony to the world. But you need the right type of focus. You need the right type of focus. That's why Peter says, do not let your adorning be external. If you want to develop the type of life that reflects the goodness of Jesus Christ and underlines the saving gospel, not undermine it, then you need to make sure that your focus is not on external things. And that is a lesson for all of us, all of us to remember, not just Christian wives. External attractiveness does not attract people to Jesus. External attractiveness does not attract people to Jesus. Too many church ministries and ministers have fallen to this lie. If we can just make ourselves attractive enough on the outside, then maybe the unsaved will somehow become attracted to Jesus on the inside. And so let's become overly preoccupied in changing the way our building looks, our pastor looks, our service looks, or our congregation looks, because if we could somehow make all of those things more attractive to the world, then we could bring more people to Jesus. Let's become more externally attractive. Listen, all of those things that I just mentioned are not bad per se. We definitely don't want to be presenting unnecessary obstacles to sharing the gospel through externals. Right? We don't want that either. So Paul here, when he says, don't let your adorning be external, he's not saying don't take showers. Right? Take showers. 
You don't want externals to be an obstacle. But at the same time, you're recognizing externals are not the tools by which God is going to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying here, external adornments are not the means by which God draws people to Jesus. No, the only thing that draws sinners to faith in Christ Jesus is the grace of God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved. And so if you want to be used by God to draw the lost around you to Jesus Christ, which should be the greatest mission that you're occupied currently in this life, then your preoccupation and focus needs to be on receiving and cultivating the transforming grace of God within you. You want to be a depository and a demonstration of the redeeming grace of God in Christ Jesus so that you can be used to attract and draw people to hear the message of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. So if you're truly serious about reaching the lost around you for Jesus Christ, then your preeminent focus will not be on externals. And Peter gives three examples of what those externals might look like for a believing wife that she might have been tempted to pursue back in that culture. He says, do not let your adorning be external, such as the braiding of hair, or the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Now, again, none of those things are bad per se. In fact, at times, might I say, they are thoroughly appropriate for a wife to put on. There are times when it is absolutely fine and appropriate for a Christian wife to do something special with her hair and to put on some fine jewelry and to wear some beautiful clothing. I'm making this point because I've sat in some circles where they actually disagree with that. So, anyway, I want to clarify. It is totally fine to do that at times. How do I know this? Because you study the whole Bible. And you go to Song of Solomon. And what do you find? The woman dressing up in all of those things for the sake of her beloved. Right? That is exactly what you find. It describes the wife doing this in Song of Solomon several times for her beloved on multiple occasions, both at the time of their wedding and afterwards, in ways that would, dare I say, make some of the more sensitive people among us blush. So again, I want us to understand these passages properly as they relate to the entirety of Scripture. To be in a marriage relationship is to be in a physical relationship with your spouse, and so it is perfectly fine and appropriate in that context to make yourself physically attractive for your spouse, and that goes both ways, husbands towards wives, wives towards husbands, obviously. But here, Peter's point in this passage is if you think how you look on the outside is going to have any saving or sanctifying effect on your husband, you are sadly mistaken. The greatest thing that can draw your spouse to Christ, second only to the word of Christ, is the wonderful life of Christ manifested within you. Therefore, God doesn't, God says don't focus on, don't become obsessed on your externals, like what your hair looks like, or what jewelry you're going to put on, or what clothes you should buy. Those type of external issues have always been some of the greatest traps in distracting believers from what really matters. Not just for women, by the way, but for men also. Again, after all, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31-33, Do not be anxious, saying, and you're speaking to men and women, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Focusing on externals to the neglect of internals has always been a danger for the followers of Jesus, no matter whether you're a man or a woman. However, at the time that this letter was written, the appeal to focus on externals was especially great upon women in that culture. I'm not even going to touch on, as I was studying the historical background here, not even touch on the clothing or or jewelry that you would find in the Greco-Roman world at that time. For example, really quickly, one woman's robe being worth over three years of wages. But just looking at hair, for example, okay, I'm going to use one example, hair. Back in the Greco-Roman world, women would curl wave, dye their hair, and then they'd braid it, and then put it into elaborate piles on the top of their head, and then they would wax it all in place for the next several weeks, and on top of that, they would deck out their pile of hair with gold and pearls and precious jewels. In some cases, it would literally take days to construct the elaborate thing on their heads. (laughs) Peter's saying here, Don't do that. The focus is all wrong. It's not appropriate to spend so much time focusing on improving your external looks when there is such a great and pressing need to improve your internal character for the cause of Christ. To engage in such obsession over physical adornment or improvement is a reflection of wrong priorities. And this is so desperately, desperately needed to hear in our culture today. Where you literally have entire social media platforms crafted around what does your externals look like. And that's all that matters. Well, first Peter comes in like a lightning bolt and breaks it into pieces. It's still a danger for many people and women today, especially in our in our American culture and even among Christians to think too much about how they look on the outside. I'll never forget how Char told me while at college, there were many young women who would wake up extremely early in the morning and would literally spend multiple hours in the bathroom every morning, making absolutely sure that their external appearance looked absolutely perfect. But then later on, during prayer group, those same young ladies would try to say they didn't have enough time that day to read the Bible or pray. And I love Chara's takeaway from this. This is, this is in one of those other moments where I fell in love with her even more. She told me that one of the first lessons she learned from all of that was this. That if she didn't have time for Bible reading and prayer, then she didn't have time for makeup either. Because one is infinitely more important than the other. Beautiful. It's exactly what Peter's talking about here. It's exactly what he's talking about here. He's not saying that there's anything wrong with adorning yourself externally. What he is saying is don't let that be your adorning. 
Don't let that be your focus. Don't let that be your obsession. Don't let those external, outward, physical, and fleeting things be the things that preoccupy your time and attention and focus throughout life. But instead, he says in verse 4, let your adorning be, so let your focus be, let your priority be on developing the hidden person of your heart, which with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. See, if you want to have a life that reflects the saving and enduring goodness of the Lord, then it all begins by focusing not on your external appearance, but on the hidden person of your heart. This is where the foundation is laid for a life of enduring goodness. This is where the foundation is laid for a life that underlines the gospel. It all begins with the hidden person of the heart. And this must be your preeminent focus. This must be where true beauty is developed and found. It is with the hidden person of the heart. Don't get weighed down with the things of this world. Can I just say as a dad of a daughter, I feel the weight of this. Focus preeminently on your heart. As 1 Timothy 2, 9-10 through 10 says, women should adorn themselves with what's proper for women who profess godliness, a Godward focus. Sisters, and can I say brothers in Christ, focus on adorning who you are, really are, before God. On the hidden person of the heart, focus on that. Everything else is hypocrisy. Focus on how does God see you, not how does man see you. Let that be your preoccupation. And what should you focus on? You should focus on adorning your inner person with what? Oh, sorry, I'm behind. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So let's use the culture which Peter's speaking to at that moment. See, those three-year wage dresses in the Greco-Roman culture that they all raved about, well, they might look great for a time, but then they'd get stained, ripped, stolen, or go out of date next year before you'd even get done paying them off. And those elaborate piles of curled, dyed, and waxed hair that took days to build, they might look good for a couple of weeks, but then they'd start to stink, crumble, and I kid you not, often become houses for mice and insects after a time. What a reminder to us that the external adornments that pass as beauty in this world will never last forever, but a gentle and quiet spirit holds a beauty that never dies. Every other pursuit in life, whether it be physical beauty that you're pursuing, or financial success, or perhaps even vicariously forcing your kids onto the honor roll, the championship sports team, or the talent hall of fame. Let me tell you, every other pursuit in life is going to perish and fade. But the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit developed by a focus on adorning the heart is imperishable. It is an adornment of beauty that lasts forever, and it always looks good on everything. And so wives and all believers, focus on acquiring that. Focus on putting that on. Don't focus on adorning your body. Don't focus on adorning your resume. Don't become preoccupied in adorning your reputation. 
Before everything else, focus on adorning your soul. Adorning our souls with what? It says, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now that word gentle is pras in the Greek, and it does not mean weak. It means meek. In other words, to be gentle means to possess a settled, soothing strength of character. It's like a powerful medicine that calms the symptoms of a fever, or it's like a skilled man who's so strong he can tame a wild beast rather than kill it. A believing wife and any believer who seeks to honor God and attract others to Jesus Christ must focus on developing within them a settled strength of character. A strength of character that doesn't disrupt, but rather dispenses a powerfully soothing disposition on those around them. A strength of character that doesn't stir up anxiety or bitterness or anger or emotions in others, but rather someone who settles and calms others by their presence. And that is a wonderful way to examine yourself in light of this passage. Is my influence in my family producing a settled calmness? Or is it stirring things up? Because for us to underline the gospel in our everyday lives, we need to adorn ourselves with a settled, soothing strength of character. We need to adorn ourselves with a gentle spirit. And second, we must adorn the hidden person of our heart with a quiet spirit. That word quiet means exactly that. It means not agitated or disturbed. It means to be settled, steady, and tranquil in spirit and disposition. And this makes sense, right? Especially in the world in which we live. If you want to highlight the faith in Jesus Christ and the peace that he brings, if we're going to show the unsaved world and possibly even our unsaved spouses that our faith is steadfast and real, then that means we can't be known as people who are always worked up and anxiously disturbed by every new headline in the news. No, as Peter's going to say later on in verse 15, we've got to be seen as people marked by hope. By hope. So that when others are flipping out around us, we're settled and we're steady in our faith, saying things like, you know what? It's going to be okay. God is still in control. Even if those who are lost around us are ever going to see the enduring goodness of Christ in our lives, then we must be laying down a foundation of developing within us a spirit like this. A gentle and quiet spirit. Looking out at general Christianity in America, we're not doing a good job. We need to work on this. If those who are lost are ever going to see the enduring goodness of Christ within us, they must see a gentle and quiet spirit. This is to be, by the way, our favorite adornment as a Christian. Right? Before we step out the bedroom every day, we should ask ourselves, wait, have I put on my gentle and quiet spirit for the day? We should. I can't forget that. Why? Because this is what's going to point people to Jesus Christ. This is what's going to mark me apart from the rest of the world as the rest of the world is overthrown by fear and anxiety and disbelief. I need to exhibit a life of hope, of settled, soothing strength of character, of calmness and faith and hope and trust. I can't forget my gentle and quiet spirit today. Why? Well, because it's not only powerful to the souls of the lost, 
but it's also precious to the eyes of God. And this is where it all comes down to. This is where it all comes from. Peter writes at the end of verse 4, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Why? Because in God's sight it's very precious. Only for women. No. (laughs) It's very precious in the sight of God for all those who claim Christ as king. And that's what ultimately matters, right? Regardless of whether our transformed lives win others to Jesus Christ or not, we should be preoccupied with developing a gentle and quiet spirit of virtue within us because a Christ-like spirit pleases the Lord. What did Jesus say? I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is the gentle and quiet spirit. That is the spirit of Christ that produces the character of us. And as we read this morning in our scripture reading, we ought to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means putting on that gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It pleases the Lord. It reflects His grace. It underlines His gospel. And that's what we're all about, isn't it? That's what our ultimate focus is to be. Exalting and glorifying God. As Peter writes later in chapter 4, verse 11, we do everything in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Or again, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for what? The glory of God. So we want to be people who please the Lord. And ultimately, it all comes down to this. If that means showing enduring goodness through marital submission to a husband that doesn't even want to hear my words, then okay, because we want to do what's precious in the sight of God, and I'm here to please him and no one else. So this is the foundation of marital submission. The foundation upon which everything else is built. It is a foundation and a preoccupation on spiritual growth and development for the glory of God. It all comes back to this. For husbands or for wives, whether you're going to be able to honor your spouse on a daily basis for the sake and spread of the gospel is all going to come down to this. Whether you are focusing on the adorning of the hidden person of your heart. Everyday evangelism cannot be separated from our personal lives. Everyday evangelism arises. It arises from our own personal lives. From the deepest recesses of our beings. And so if we want to be used, if we want to underline the saving truths of the gospel for our husbands, for our wives, for our children, for our neighbors, for our co-workers, for our friends, then you and I have got to establish the right focus and priority in our lives. And it's not by adorning the external things that everybody sees. It is by adorning our hidden portion of our heart, which God alone sees. It is becoming more like Jesus, developing by God's grace, Christ's own gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is what pleases God. And this is what points others to Christ. Not who we are on the outside, but who God is making us to be on the inside. So ladies and gentlemen, followers of Jesus Christ, how are you doing on that? How are you doing in adorning the hidden person of your heart? How are you doing in growing in Christ-likeness? So, Here are three questions to examine ourselves by as we conclude here. First, why don't you ask yourself the question, what's your daily priority? What's your daily priority? What is the priority that wins out on a daily basis in your home and in your life? Is it the outward pursuit of physical beauty or financial success 
or family accomplishments? Or is it an inner pursuit of pleasing the Lord through manifesting a gentle and quiet spirit before all people at all times? If you want to determine which priority is winning out, so here's a practical way to even examine that first question. Examine where you're investing your time, energy, and emotions. Okay, so first, how does, what does your time tell you about your priority? How much time do you take during the day on external adorning and improving of yourself through various and different ways? Picking out clothes. I mean, it can be whatever. Going to the gym. Working hard to get that accomplishment done at work. Now how much time do you take during the day on an external adorning and improving of yourself through the word, prayer, and fellowship? And beyond even that, when there's a conflict between the two, which one wins out, the external or internal adorning? What does your time tell you about your priority? Second, what does your energy tell you about your priority? What do you work harder at? Leg day in the gym? Or growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Finding the perfect outfit that matches your eyes or shoes for that day? Or finding the perfect spirit that matches your Savior, who is gentle and quiet, the Spirit. What does your energy tell you about your priority? And then third, what does your emotions tell you about your priority? Are you more emotionally invested in when your hair gets messed up? (laughs) Or your clothes get messed up? Or you fail that test? than when the spirit of your heart gets messed up for the day? Do you get more excited about when people notice you favorably? Or do you get more excited about when you know God is pleased with you secretly? What does your emotions tell you about your priorities? So those are three things that you can use, time, energy, and emotions, to determine what's the priority that's winning out on a daily basis. Is it the outward adorning of your life, or is it the inward adorning of your soul? What's your daily priority? Second, What's your daily power? So maybe after I went through those different ways to examine yourself, you're sitting there thinking, okay, just like I was thinking, I've got a long ways to go in this. I've got a long ways to go until I characteristically exhibit a calming, soothing strength of character in the relationships of those around me. I I have got a long ways to go until those who are closest to me can see a consistent Christ-like spirit. I've got a long ways to go. So how can I grow? How can I grow so that others can see the goodness of Christ in me? The answer is, looking back, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word. Why? So that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, that's our power for growth. It is the Word of God. That's what strengthens us and settles us and gives us a gentle and quiet spirit. It is returning every day, returning every day in the midst of this world, returning every day to the person and promises of an unchanging God as revealed in Scripture. That is how we have a God-grounded, hope-centered, soothing strength of character for the glory of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel in this world. If we need to grow in that way, where ought we to return? We return to the Word of God. That's our daily power. So what's your daily priority? What's your daily power, believer? And then finally, third question, what's your daily purpose? This is just a general question I'm going to leave with. When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking to yourself, how am I going to draw attention to myself by pleasing others? Or do you ask yourself, how am I going to draw attention to God by pleasing Him? What's your purpose? 
If your purpose is to draw attention to God by pleasing Him, not drawing your attention to others by pleasing, or drawing attention to yourself by pleasing others, then here's what you must do. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold or jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For the sake of the gospel and its spread and the salvation of the lost, I call all of you as elect exiles here this morning back to renewing your dedication to receiving the grace of God that is yours in Christ Jesus into your life this week. Return this week if you have drifted away back to the word of grace and receive a renewed vision of the person and promises of God Return this week to the throne of grace where you find mercy and help in your time of need. Return to the fellowship of grace so that we might stir ourselves up not into anxiety, not into fear, but into greater faith and hope as we see the day drawing near. These are the ways that we grow in the Spirit of Christ for the sake of the Gospel of Christ and the salvation of the lost today and until we enter glory. Let's not have our adorning, our focus this week be external. Let it be the adorning of our heart for the glory of Christ and the salvation of the lost. This is the foundation of marital submission. It all comes down to that. We'll have to look at the final two points later. But for now, this is the Word of God from 1 Peter 3, 3-4, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in the fervent care of one another until Christ, the living Word, returns. To that end, as the men come forward for a celebration of communion this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Father, we acknowledge that we are so often distracted by things that ultimately, eternally do not matter. I acknowledge it in my own heart. Father, even even as Christians, we can so get consumed with externals. We can become like Martha running around focusing on so many different things and neglecting that one thing that most matters, that endures forever, sitting at your feet, seeing the grace of Christ and being transformed from one degree of glory into another. Father, I pray as we consider this issue of evangelism and reaching the lost for Christ, Help us to consider how much we may be undermining the gospel by not having gentle and quiet spirits. And beyond even that, how much we might be displeasing you who has saved us so that we might show Christ to this world. Help us to do that which is pleasing in your sight this week. Give us grace, Father, through your word, through prayer, and through our Christian friends so that we would compel those around us to seek a reason for the hope 
that is in us. Please change us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.